Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. Mind your business with the breakfast huddle only on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's The Breakfast Huddle with Elliot Danka and Barty Jagdish. It's time now for Mind Your Business. And this one's a headline that uh, has been around. Uh, remember when the Monetary Authority of Singapore issued a new set of guidelines to rein in cryptocurrency service providers? Yes. Uh, under the guidelines, cryptocurrency service providers are not allowed to market or advertise their services in public areas in Singapore, uh, such as through advertisements on public transport, public transport venues in general, public websites, social media platforms, and even broadcast or print media ads. Mm. You can't even use those uh, social media influencers to, pr- to promote your service, right? Mm. Uh, but you can market or advertise only on your own corporate websites, mobile applications, or official social media accounts. And of course, with the recent dip in crypto prices, most are wondering if there is a future in crypto and if they should cash out or hold consistently considering the circumstances. Yeah, uh, let's find out the impact, especially with these guidelines. Dr. Julian Hosper is the CEO and co-founder of Cake Defy. Uh, Dr. Julian, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing? Very good, sir. Thanks so much for helping us out. So we understand that Cake Defy is one of the most transparent ways to generate cash flow from one's cryptocurrencies and harness the potential of decentralized finance. What else can you tell us with regard to Cake Defy? Our main focus uh, with the platform has always been that we want to attract existing crypto holders way more than any kind of new crypto holder. So most of our customers, they already own Bitcoin or Ethereum, and they're looking for ways how they can get interest on top of that. And we offer various ways to do that. We are completely transparent about that. We use um, DeFi in the backend that happens on the blockchain, and we just provide a very simple access point. And we started in 2019, and we've become one of the largest players, uh, not only in Singapore, but in Southeast Asia and the rest of the world. It's been a heck of a ride. We actually just uh, opened our new office here and we have uh, close to 60 people now working in Singapore. The thing is, you have a pretty interesting background, don't you? You were a medical doctor, a trauma surgeon. How did you move from doing that to cryptocurrency? In uh, 2011, for the very first time, I actually had a patient tell me about Bitcoin. And it's actually exactly like eight years ago, um, Bitcoin had just hit a dollar. And that patient, he had a calcaneous fracture, uh, a heel bone fracture. And he tried to convince me to invest into this crazy new thing. And I rejected it. Uh, Three years later, I stumbled across that topic, but from a medical angle, which was around um, actually, actually vaccination passports. Back then, no one would have been interested in that. Today, totally different topic. Mm. But in 2014, I tried to get into that blockchain space and I just couldn't get uh, a company off the ground around that simply because there was just no interest in, in the medical field for blockchain. And so, yeah, the, the finance side got me and it was a really lucky timing. Bitcoin was at around $400. And I always say, um, if in life you can choose between being lucky or being skilled, <laughs> Choose lucky. I was uh, very fortunate uh, with that. That is very well put. Uh, Dr. Julian, this is an unrelated question and purely out of the curiosity of my mind. Do you see a place for blockchain where the medical industry is concerned? A hundred percent. I just think that such an initiative really has to come from the government. And that was the main 
kind of thing that I realized in, in 2014, um, that probably for a startup, this is very, very tricky because the actual problem to solve is not so much of a technical aspect. It's really more of a collaborative um, kind of effort where uh, somebody has to go and say, okay, listen, hospitals, insurance companies, uh, doctors, we're all doing this now in the interest of patients so they can store their own medical data. They don't have to rely on us. There's no further attacks on, in, in, on medical data. Um, but we all need to work together on this. And I think it's very difficult for a small startup mm. to initiate that. I think for a government body, this is way easier. Just, just a short one. And that this whole idea of blockchain, that could go a long way in securities where, you know, illegal smuggling of, I don't know, organs could be concerned, right? I mean, yeah, that is a fantastic use case, correct? Because it's complete transparency, mm. while at the same time, you can protect the individual's privacy. So I, I think a fantastic use case. Blockchain. But again, here also, it needs the government. I, I think this is not a, a startup kind of initiative. Yeah. yeah. Since you talk about government, I think we really need to discuss the involvement of governments and regulators. I mean, blockchain is one thing, and I think governments recognize that all of this can be very useful. But cryptocurrency is quite another, isn't it? I, you yourself said that when you were first introduced to it, you thought, hey, what is this crazy thing? So tell us more about how something like that can be made more acceptable and that even if regulators step in, they don't over-regulate. Let's remember, yeah, one of the selling points of cryptocurrency was that it was decentralized and unregulated and it would give people autonomy. I mean, I think it all comes down to the education of the individual. I think if the message, and that was kind of the message that I received in 2011 from my patient was, oh, it was 10 cents just a few weeks ago. Now it's a dollar. It's going to go to $20 over the next couple of weeks. I think that is the wrong message because that mm. is built on emotion. That's built on fear. That's built on fear of missing out, FOMO. And I think these are all very dangerous decision-making kind of background ideas. However, if you go to someone and say, okay, look, um, this is a very interesting decentralized asset. Um, there are very strong use cases attached to that. Um, over the long term, this would allow you to store some wealth. Now, this is gonna, not going to happen over the next couple of weeks. This be a, a year-long kind of journey. This could be something of a digital gold kind of thing. So it has very similar properties of physical gold, maybe not today, but over the next 10 years. So, And, and I think it also comes down to, are you uh, insinuating that someone should put 100% of their net worth into this and, and speculate their entire fortune on this? Or and you see many large investors coming out, Ray Dalio, one of the uh, wealthiest uh, individuals, strong hedge fund. Yeah. Uh, he comes out and says, I have one or 2% of my net worth in, in this. And I see this more as an insurance. If the entire dollar system, for example, should have issues, this could be a very uh, interesting uh, asset to put your wealth in. I think this is where it all comes down to. And I think that is, um, and, and also um, the regulation here with MAS, I think it takes a good approach. Um, regulation here is very important. And uh, it, you, at no point should you mislead uh, people in their expectations. So I think that approach is very, very important. Uh, Dr. Julian, and just to play off the essence of Bharati's question, there has long been this sentiment that, the, as you said, the regulation is going to stabilize cryptocurrency. So with what MAS has done, whether it's part of a larger series of steps or not, we don't know. Does then this make Singapore potentially one of the most crypto-friendly countries? Yes and no. Regulation is always good because it puts rules into place and countries, uh, companies can then understand these are the rules. I can play by those. And this is what, makes, what, what puts me on the regulatory correct side. Um, at the same point um, or at the same time, I think it's really important for the government here 
to also give companies um, chance to adapt and at the same time give them expectation that going forward, uh, companies can adapt to these regulations. I think the current steps were really, really good. And I would um, strongly say that I think they were in the right direction. Um, Going forward, the key thing also for us as a company is how much can we rely on the government here, on the regulator here as a partner, that they're not going to come and suddenly pull a 180. At the moment, the direction is good, but that is always a, a very important part. And so I think for some companies, they rather say, you know what, this is a bit too tricky for us. Let's go into jurisdictions where there's no regulation with the downside that comes with that. And we at Take, if I just haven't taken that approach, we really believe that it makes sense to have some regulation. It makes sense to really understand what is accepted and what is not accepted. But that is always a key point about regulation. Sometimes you can over-regulate, stifle innovation, actually scare away companies. I don't see this right now, but there's always this risk. And at the same time, um, regulation provides certainty. And that is key in a business. Uh, as a business, you always want to have this certainty so that you can deal with all the uncertainties that are out there already yeah. in your business environment. Short of calling for a ban on cryptocurrencies, <laughs> what would be going overboard in terms of regulation? I think as soon as you step in and you make it extremely difficult for companies to accept funds from customers, as soon as you cannot communicate with your customers at all anymore, mm. um, as soon as the marketing gets completely stifled. At the moment, I think the main focus has been around direct conversion, about conversion on physical sites, on on external sites with influencers. I think this makes all sense. But if, for example, suddenly this entire marketing gets stifled down where you, your, your possibilities of doing so are just getting so limited, then at some point companies just have to survive and then they're going to look for other opportunities. Another one that I... And, uh, we hear this a lot in Singapore, is, and, but yesterday there was a very positive, I think, announcement from DBS about starting a crypto trading desk for retail. But I think mm-hmm. one has always been the partnership between the, the, the trade fi, traditional finance, and the kind of new finance world of e-finance. So on. And many times there was a bit of a uh, separation between the traditional finance, the banks, and, and those new fintech companies. I think that is also very important going forward that MAS looks to kind of uh, ha- have a happy marriage uh, when it comes to that and not a, a separation. It's not fintechs versus the traditional finance. It's actually a togetherness here. Actually, uh, I'm curious, Cake Defy is concerned, after those new MAS guidelines were announced, how crypto trading shouldn't be promoted to the public, did you guys see any impact on your platform? Um, for us, our entire uh, way how we actually attracted customers was way more of a word of mouth from existing customers and way more of a very organic kind of growth. We had not done much of these typical conversion kind of marketing tools. We haven't done any uh, offline uh, aggressive marketing. So for us, this was a very organic approach. So we actually haven't seen any uh, slip or, or, or less of a growth. Um, we have seen a very continuous growth. Also, um, with the market slump over the last actually almost three months now, um, our customers are very long-term focused. We don't, we, we're not a trading platform, so you cannot trade on our platforms. It's a very different kind of business than most of these exchanges that you see out there. And so our customers, they, are very, they have a very long-term time horizon. We even have a, 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 a way where people can actually commit uh, to getting cash flow from us over the next 10 years. We call it a, a freezer. So it's a, a very uh, funny name, obviously, with Cake DeFi. So you can put your funds into a freezer and you get, you, we charge you less on that. And so a lot of customers do this. But that also means showing, um, I think, uh, that's, we're completely transparent on the website. We have over $100 million of funds committed to over 10 years. 
So just think about this, right? So this means that our customers are very long-term focused. And so we don't see so much of these uh, dips down, uh, things like what happened with MAS, um, that doesn't affect as much. Let's face it, though. I mean, not all is gold when it comes to cryptocurrency, right? Some are good, some aren't so good. Some are just bubbles waiting to burst. And then there are crypto scams as well. What do you think needs to be done in terms of educating the public about these things and investors and keeping them centered as they move into this space? As I mentioned before, I think it really comes down to the expectation you give to people. And especially in a in a new ecosystem. I mean, we saw something very similar in the 1990s with dot-coms. Suddenly, everything looked like the next shiny object. And then people started to realize that just because someone put a dot-com behind something, Mm -hmm. valuable. I think it's the same. I see so often today where people come to me and I'm a very public figure on on Twitter, on YouTube, or on Instagram, and, and people send me messages and say, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And my answer many times is, just because you add crypto or blockchain to something, it doesn't change the fundamentals, the underlying. So um, just yesterday, I had actually a good friend of mine who came and said, hey, this is marketing and marketing with blockchain. And I said, okay, that is like two hype terms, marketing and blockchain, but what, I, I don't understand what problem are you trying to, mm. to, to create with that? Mm. So I think it, it's education for the people and it, it, it is going away from, oh, tomorrow you're going to be rich and it has to go more to, okay, what's the actual use case of that? And what's the actual use case over the long term for that? And it's not going to happen overnight that people understand that, but I think that's where this, this education aspect comes in. Dr. Julian, just a final question and a quick one. Let's get your prescription. Hmm. What do you think the future of money is going to look like then? <laughs> that's a nice, uh, yeah, wait. <laughs> I don't see decentralized as Bitcoin to take over um, traditional fiat money. I think governments should stay in control of the money supply simply because we just need to look at over the past two years. I think it was very important that governments had the opportunity to increase the money supply. I think the key thing is decentralized currency should always provide an, exchange, uh, an escape option. I think that is always what it comes down to. Um, it comes down to putting checks and balances into place. And if, and in Singapore, you have a very open system. I think most Singaporeans have access to so many opportunities, bank accounts, cryptocurrencies, credit cards, most investment vehicles. So, but in, if we look at probably 80% of the world, they live in, in jurisdictions and countries where they're locked in their own currency and they cannot get out. And then these countries can misuse that. So I think the future really for Bitcoin and many of the other cryptocurrencies is really this escape option to put checks and balances into place. But if you ask me, do I see Bitcoin in 2030 as the global currency? Will it replace the U.S. dollar? I would be very, very cautious uh, to say so. I think less than a 1% chance for that. Mm, All right. Thank you very much for that assessment. Dr. Julian Hosp, we've been speaking to the CEO and co-founder of Cake Defy. Thank you so much, Dr. Hosp. You take care and stay safe. Yeah. Thank you. Stay safe. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.